Bibles tonight. We're in John chapter number 6. We'll get started there. And out of curiosity, anybody make it in here tonight that did not get a copy of the outline? Raise your hand if you would, and I uh, want to try to get that. Anybody just slip your hand up if you didn't get a copy. want to make sure a couple out here. Anybody, just keep your hand up. They'll get one of those, and I want to make sure you follow along. Uh, we're we're uh, normally, as I preach, I try to preach, uh, most of the messages I preach are what you would call expository messages. Uh, they're all in one passage, and those are easy to kind of stay uh, with it. Tonight, it's a little bit more of what I would call a topical message, dealing with this matter of, of giving as godly. And so I wanted to make sure you follow along. Anybody else, raise your hand, didn't get a copy, want to make sure everybody's got one. I know we had some visitors and that, and so a lot of times folks miss those or just forget to grab one. But if uh, you're there in John chapter 6, a couple verses, and if you're able tonight, let's stand as we read a couple verses tonight from the Word of God, and out of respect for the Word of God in John chapter number 6. Great passage here that we'll use as we launch from this, and I pray that the Lord will use this message tonight as we... Uh, we will head towards a time at the Lord's table. And uh, these are special times for a church family. And uh, those of you that are visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And uh, church is a family, and so we want you to feel at home. We want you to feel comfortable. And uh, if there's anything we can do for you, any questions that you might have as we conclude tonight, we'd love to be able to spend some time with you and talk with you about anything that you might have uh, questions about. In John chapter number 6, the Bible talks here in verse number 25, it says in, in your Bible, when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou hither? And he answered and said, verily I, verily I say unto you, ye seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. And Jesus had performed the miracle of the five loaves and two fishes earlier here in this context. And the Bible says in, in verse number 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat, meat within, which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the, God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the word work of God, that you believe on him <clears throat> whom he has sent. They say therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see? And you know that was one of the earmarks oftentimes in the word of God, especially when Jesus was on this earth, is uh, again is this matter of we won't believe unless we see. Always having to see something. And I can identify, I don't know where you originated from, but I'm originally from the state of Missouri, and their slogan is, show me. And that's kind of the way these people were, is we have to see it. And that's what it says here. It says, what signs showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What, what dost thou work? Verse 31, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life 
unto the world. Drop down in verse number 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Let's say that statement that Jesus said to them where it starts with Jesus said, I am. Let's say that. I am the bread which came down from heaven. And tonight I want you to focus on this as we look at this portion on giving is godly. Giving is godly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that you would meet with us tonight, that there would be a special consecration tonight in this service, Lord, as we think about you and we think about how, God, you could have chose any way to save this world, but you chose to send your son. You gave so that we could have eternal life. And Lord, I'm thankful that you have set a great example for us, and we see from the Word of God that giving is godly. Now, Lord, seal the Word of God to our hearts tonight. Lord, may we experience what you would have for our lives this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing tonight. Again, in verse 31, Jesus says that God gave them bread from heaven. In verse 41, he identifies that that bread that God gave them was he himself. He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. When you think about giving, and a lot of times it's not a popular subject, uh, I know that even my own father, for many years growing up, my father, his take was, that's all the church wants is my money. <laughs> the reality is, is listen, the church doesn't want your money. God doesn't even want your money. God wants your obedience. I love what uh, the song Brother Kenny had us sing, and I noticed how everybody was a little bit uh, energized by that song, O-B-E-D. I was amazed. Some of you know how to spell right, all right? But it was on the screen. But here's the thing is, God wants our obedience. And I love this matter of giving because it's a biblical principle. Somebody said, we are never more like God than when we are giving. What a great illustration of that. And I was reading this week as I was preparing for this message, and I saw a true story that, that went like this. Early one morning, there was an American soldier, and he was serving uh, our country in a war-torn country. And, you know, it's not common, but he, at that time, had an opportunity to go to a, a local bakery in that war-torn country, and he wanted to buy some sweet rolls and donuts in the bakery. So he went in, and as he entered, he saw a little boy that was standing there as he walked by, and his face was pressed against the window of the bakery, and he was looking in at all the goodies in the bake shop. The little boy was kind of a little ragged. He was a little dirty. Uh, he was obviously hungry, and as, as the soldier went in, he saw this little boy, and he went in, stood in line, waited his turn, bought several sweet rolls and donuts for himself, and he bought plenty for some of his buddies, some of his soldiers in arms, and, and as he was there, he also bought some for this little boy. He was getting ready to leave the shop, and as he was walking out, he came to where the little boy was standing, and he handed a a sack full of donuts and rolls to this boy. The boy took the sack and he looked up at the soldier and with tears running down his face, he said to the soldier, Sir, are you God? 
Now, what that little boy realized was is that God is one that gives. He equated that. I don't know where he got that from. Certainly, that soldier thought to himself, no, I am not God. But that little boy realized that giving is godly. There's a lot of great teachings in the Word of God that present a Word of God, a picture of God. And when you study those pictures of God in the Bible, nearly all of them show God as a giving God. That's one thing I love. One of the characteristics of our God is that He is a giving God. And so certainly giving is godly. And we can see that, first of all, tonight in the commitment of love. When you think about commitment, what do you think about? You think about dedication. You think about devotion, commitment. I, I, I went to see Brother Tim last Sunday, and I walked in. It was about uh, 8 o'clock, 8.15. He probably wasn't thinking anybody's going to stop by. It's Sunday. They're supposed to be in church, even though he wasn't in church. He thought nobody would come by. When I walked in the room, there was Miss Maylene, and she was in one of those chairs that's supposed to, you're supposed to sleep in. It's more like a rack. And she was in that next to his bed. And I thought, isn't this cute? You know? But that's devotion. That's dedication. Uh, Maylene could have thought, hey, listen, he's fine. Their nurses are watching him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and sleep in my own bed. And I'll come back before Tim even wakes up. And he won't even know I'm gone. But instead, she stayed right there by his side. I think about how many people have a commitment, a devotion. And I, when I think about the commitment of love, one verse always, always pops into my mind. John 3.16. I love John 3.16, don't you? That's a great verse. You know, so many people, saved and unsaved, love that verse and know that verse. A lot of times you watch football games, what's the one reference you always see at a football game, brother guy? John 3, 16. Sometimes you even wonder, do they even really know what it means? Do they know the verse? You see the reference a lot of times. And I never get tired of saying that verse, for God. Folks, that settles everything right there. God so loved the world. I look around the room tonight, I looked around the auditorium this morning, it doesn't matter where we come from, what color our skin is, what our nationality is, God so loved the world. I don't understand how a Calvinist can sleep at night. You know, they, they think only certain people can be saved. My Bible says God so loved the world. And He loved it so much that He gave. You see, giving is godly. Now, you think about what God gave. God gave His best, did He not? He gave His Son. Matter of fact, the Bible says... He, uh, you know, listen, I would dispute many of these modern Bibles today because God's Word says He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, there's a lot of Bibles that say His one and only and all this type. Listen, the Bible says His only begotten Son. And the reason He gave His Son is that whosoever believeth in Him. They don't believe in themselves. It's not a church. It's not a creed. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, I love the fact that God was, now think about that. God was committed to us. Who are we? We're sinners. And we'll see here in just a minute that commitment. I, I, I have sat here even this week and I've thought this thought. Why would God send his precious son to this world knowing that he would be mistreated? that he would be abused, 
that he would be beaten, he would be crucified. And there's only one answer that, it, that, that answers that, and there's a great verse that answers that. Look at 1 John 4, 9. Look at the verse. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, and here it is, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through what? Through him. See, God wants you and I to have eternal life. And the only way that's possible is that God was that committed to us that he sent his son. See, the father, and I, look, whether you agree with this or not, this is my take on it. It's just like a father or a mother that gives their son a kiss, a hug, and sends them off to war. That's exactly what God the Father did with God the Son. When Jesus came to this earth, it was an all-out battle because the devil knew that if Jesus went to the cross, that his, his whole purpose in life would be destroyed. I love the fact, listen, the devil's fate has already been settled. Jesus took care of that. You go all the way back to chapter 3 in the book of Genesis, and you find that that death blow has already been delivered. We have the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I, I look at the Word of God and I think about how that He sent His Son, that He allowed His Son to go off to war for our freedom. I don't think any of us will ever fully understand the great sacrifice that God made when He sent His Son into this world. The songwriter wrote it this way, O wondrous love. And that's really what it is. Honestly, folks, I think about the love that God had toward us. In the Old Testament, there's a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about, what the Word of God talks about in John 3, 16. It's in a little book that we rarely go to in the Old Testament. It's the book of Hosea. You study the book of Hosea. It's an amazing book. It talks about the love of this man by the name of Hosea for his wife that was a wayward woman. And it gives a beautiful picture of God's love for us as sinners who are wayward towards God. This wife of, of Hosea, her name was Gomer. She was one that, the, listen, the Bible, not me, the Bible describes that she had committed adultery. It also goes on to describe in this small book in the Bible that she didn't even care for Hosea. Yet in her wickedness, you study the passage, here's what you find, that her provisions for life were met. They were taken care of by her husband. You know why? Because he loved her. And it shows me a picture of commitment. It was Hosea who had paid the price of redemption for her. He loved her and he brought this woman, this wife, back to himself. And I see the same thing in Jesus, what he did for us. Listen, I love that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know that? For the Bible tells me so. You know, I, the Bible says we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes and mine, he became poor. Why would he do that? That you and I, through his poverty, might be made rich. You and I are rich tonight because of God's grace, God's unmerited love toward us. I see this commitment of love. We were sinners, just like Gomer to Hosea. We didn't love God. He loved us before we ever loved him. 
and Jesus. Boy, what a beautiful, what a beautiful person that the Lord Jesus is, how he, he loved us. Listen, he loved us so much that he became flesh for us. He was rich. The universe was his. He was a part of the creation, a part of the creator God, and he became poor. And the Bible says in Romans 5, God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, like Gomer, Christ died for us. I hope you never get over your salvation. I hope you're saved tonight. If you're not saved, you need to understand the magnitude of the commitment of love that God had toward us. There was nothing good about us. There was, God really honestly did not get much when he got us. But the songwriter contemplated that love. And he sat down and wrote these words, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. You see, we couldn't go up to God. They tried that in, in the passage in the Old Testament where they said, hey, we'll build a tower and we'll go up to God. And yet that did not happen. God confounded them. You know what happened? He came down to us. You see, God was the first mover because of his love for us. And what a commitment that I see in the love of God. Peter says, for as much as you know that Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know what God did? God proved his love for us. None of us deserve it, do we? But you know, Jesus also, the Son of God, he proved his love for us because he gave himself for us. You know what that is called, folks? That's called grace. And we see clearly in the Word of God, not just this evening, but every time we open the pages of the Word of God, we see the commitment of God's love toward us. And as we think about that commitment of love, then notice secondly tonight that there is also, along with that commitment, there's a cost when it comes to love. I wonder tonight, you know, Jesus paid it all. The songwriter said, all to him I owe. I wonder how much you're willing to pay. You say, well, I'm saved tonight. Yes, that's true. But you're saved because of the love of God. And God wants every one of us to have that commitment, but there is a cost if we're going to love God and love others. There's a price. The question is, is it worth it to you? You see, you study history, and history, of course, is filled with events that depict the fact that those who really love are willing to sacrifice for the ones that they do love. But when you study the Word of God, you're not studying history. You're studying His story. You see, you see the love of God throughout the pages of the Word of God. And Jesus in His life, which was really not a lengthy time on this earth, some three, three and a half years, you find that while Jesus was here, He called out 12 individuals. We call them the disciples, many times the apostles, those followers, those individuals that followed Jesus, the, those that were very close to him. And the Bible says in Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself 
take up his cross and follow me. That's the cost of a disciple. A lot of people say, boy, I want to I be a Christian. There's a, there's a price. There's a cost. And can I tell you, it is worth it. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to show me that you love me, then here's how you do it is that you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and you need to follow me. Now, there were many times the disciples, these individuals that Jesus called out, Jesus spent three and a half years pouring his life into them. There were many times he talked to them about things like many of us that they really didn't understand some of the things that Jesus shared with them. I can't tell you how many times God has shown me some things and I really don't understand it. I'll be honest tonight. I'll confess to you. Sometimes I'm slow to learn. I have to be taught maybe once, twice, three times before I get something. His disciples were the exact same way. Jesus was trying to teach them. And the Bible says in Mark 9, 32, look at this. They understood not that saying, and they were afraid to ask him. You ever, you ever been that way? Somebody's trying to teach you something, and maybe it's embarrassment, maybe it's pride, whatever it is. I can't even imagine if I was in the presence of Jesus raising my hand to ask. They were afraid. They, they didn't understand it. But in spite of these individuals, they're just like you and I. They had their faults. They had their failures. There's none perfect. No, not one. They, too, fall, uh, fell short. But here's the one thing I see about this group of individuals. Now, honestly, we could probably exclude a Judas here. But uh, you take the rest of them. The one thing I find is that they did love the Lord. Every day they spent with him, they became more and more fond of him. They loved him in a greater capacity. How many of you love God more today than the day you met him? Yeah, that love ought to be stronger every day, right? It's amazing. The more you know about him, the more you love him. And these individuals spent time and they, they looked to Jesus when he was on the earth. They didn't understand it all. They, they thought, look, it, undoubtedly this man, they saw him perform miracles. And they thought, surely he has come here to supplant the cruelty that we're all living under, and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom while he's here on this earth. And they kept waiting for that, but it never happened. As a matter of fact, it still hasn't happened. There will come a day when he will establish his kingdom. But they, they didn't understand it, like many of us who have studied the Word of God. And Jesus, in time, made it to a place called Calvary, Golgotha. There he was crucified. And you know what happened in their hearts? For many of them, all hope was gone. The one they looked to, the one that they thought was going to lead them out, give them victory in their lives. They thought, surely he was the one, and now he's gone. Their hope was faded. And, and Jesus, you know, in spite of the many times that he had taught them while he was on this earth, he had told them that he must go to the cross, that he must give his life. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. He had talked about his death and his resurrection on a couple occasions with them, and yet they still didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Jesus comes to them after his resurrection, and he appears unto them. He validated his eternal purpose. And as a result of that, their hope was restored. 
And you know what happened as you study the rest of the New Testament? Here's what you find. Is that their love for him was stronger than it ever had been. Hope had been restored. And you know what each one of them did? Because of their commitment of love toward him who loved them, they were willing to pay the cost. The Bible says in Acts 14, saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Boy, there's many times more than just this one verse that you find in the first century after Jesus had been uh, ascended back to be with the Father that these individuals, that he had left the work of God in their hands, that they now were willing to pay the cost because of the love and the commitment they had for him. Tradition tells us that 10 of the 11 disciples died horrible, cruel deaths because of their love for the Lord. Tradition tells us that only one died of a natural cause. Most of them were crucified. Some were beheaded. Each one of them died a martyr's death. From the first century all the way to the 20th century, there have been hundreds of thousands of the Lord's followers who have paid the ultimate price of love. Time won't permit us tonight to cover many of those. I hope that you have read and have studied some of the the martyrs because there is a trail of blood today for those that have loved the Lord, that have been willing to pay the cost. Folks, it costs to love the Lord. He loved us. The question tonight is, should we not love Him? You see, I see the commitment of love that He had for us, and from that, there's a cost. But I want you to see tonight, before we go to the table, I want you to see that it needs to be the compliance of love. We sang that song earlier again, obedience is the very best way. God's wanting to know how committed you are. Are you willing to pay the cost? And the only way you can do that is to be in full compliance. To comply means to yield, to cooperate to conform. You know, Peter was one that was very impetuous, was he not? Peter was always the one, if I can use the phrase, that always was sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter was always the one running ahead. He was always the one that Jesus was dealing with, but he's still one of the ones that God used in a mighty way. He's the one that stood on the day of Pentecost and preached. 3,000 people got saved that day. Folks, God can use any of us. But there was a day in Peter's life, and the Lord had told him. He told him that there would come a day that he would deny him. And Peter Peter told the Lord, he says, that's not going to happen. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, is what he said to him. And he heard that cock crow, and he realized what he had done. The Lord comes back. And there was a time, as the Bible shows us here in John 21, look at verse 17 there, where Jesus says to Peter, notice the words here, the third time. You know, when the Lord says something to you three times, it's serious. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, same question, lovest thou me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you really love me? 
Sometimes I say to my wife, I love you. You know, you see this younger generation. We're, we were no different when we were younger. You think you're in love. Honestly, at that age, you don't even know what love is. We just throw that word around. We always try to tell our daughters whether or not they did it was their, their call, but we always try to tell our children, don't use the L word. Don't use it, reserve it for when you really mean it. And a lot of times we, we just will throw it out, I love you. A lot of times I'll say to some of the men here at the church, I don't think there's nothing wrong with it, brotherly love. I'll say to some of our men, hey, I love you. I try not to say it unless I mean it. And so Jesus says to Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter looks at the Lord after being asked that twice, and he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. He had that one right, didn't he? Jesus knew Peter's heart. He knows your heart tonight. He knows mine. You can't pull one over on God. You can't play games with God. And he asked him, he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. You know what Jesus was saying to Peter? Show me. This is one time that instead of them having to see something, Jesus says, Peter, if you really mean what you're saying, then don't just talk the talk. Walk the walk. You see, I find here that what God wants us to do is to comply. There needs to be this compliance of our love. Uh, earlier in Peter's life, that when the maid of the high priest asked Peter, he said, he says, I, I know that you're one of his disciples. Peter says, I know not this man of whom you speak. You know what disobedience to God's command is? It's a reason for God to doubt our love for him. Many times what we do, listen, whether it's in word or deed, it's disobedience to God. And when we disobey God, it gives God that opportunity to question, just like he did Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? God's looking for a compliance of our love towards him. There's a lot of people that have an interest, but having an interest without any cost to ourselves. See, when we love something or someone, it's always going to cost. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. And I don't mean this in a bad way. Because I love them, it costs me something. The same is true for every one of us. If you love, it will cost you. See, love doesn't ask, how much will it cost me? Love asks, how can I show my love to the one that I do love? How can I show that? How can I prove that? A lot of Christians today show by their actions that they are fond of the Lord Listen, you and I should not, as Peter did, we should not give the, the Lord a reason to doubt our love for Him or our love to Him. To cost, it costs to love, but it's worth the cost. It, look, here's a great passage that always helps me keep things into perspective of how Jesus felt toward me, and it helps me in my life as I need to love Him and love others. Look what it says in Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Look at it now. Here's the admonition for you and I today. 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily. There's some, something in your life. I think all of us have that besetting sin. And by the way, I think the devil knows what buttons to push in our lives too. But many times we give in the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible says we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here's how you're going to do it. Looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on the Lord. See, the true love is the personification of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we have to look. You, you find a, a runner who is a good runner. What does he do? As he runs... He keeps his eye on the prize. The Bible says that we need to look to Jesus. He is the author and he's the finisher of our our race, our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear what the Bible said there? Who for the joy that was set before him. What joy was set before Jesus? only thing I can think of is the cross. You wouldn't think of the cross as something joyous. But Jesus knew what that cross represented. He knew what it meant. He knew without the cross, we'd never have an opportunity to be saved. By the way, the devil knew that too. You see, as we live for him, we understand that Our salvation cost Jesus his life, but I really believe that Jesus had no regrets. You see, he endured the cross. He didn't stop short of Calvary. I think of his disciples as they lived for him and they served him. It cost them, just like today. I mean, many of us, we have never suffered persecution, but I'll tell you, there may come a day that if we continue to live for the Lord, even here in the United States of America, Our love for him may cost us something. I sat there this afternoon and I thought again about this group of disciples. And I thought about that time, because of what we're going to do here in just a couple minutes, I thought about that time when they were in the upper room. And again, I don't think any of us would have been any different, but they, they spent that time, they had what oftentimes we refer to as the Last Supper. Jesus had told them that he was going to go away and prepare a place for them. That passage took place when Jesus was in the upper room. I don't think they really could grasp with their minds that he wasn't going to be with them much longer. When they walked out of that upper room and walked out into the streets of that city, I think they began to pay the cost. I think they began to suffer for the cause of Christ. When the disciples made their way, some in various ways, when Jesus was taken and he was nailed to the cross, as the crowd stood around, John at the foot of the cross, the disciples scattered around. I think just like they identified with Peter, hey, you were with him. You're one of his disciples. I think eventually each one of them were pointed out they began to pay the cost. When Jesus ascended up into heaven and he left the work of God in the hands of these disciples, 
all of a sudden, all the attention that was, was vehemently focused on Jesus, he's no longer there. All of that hatred was shifted to these followers of Christ. And they began to pay the cost. You see, folks, you're not willing to pay the cost unless you have the love that he had for us. And I see tonight, as the songwriter wrote the words, My Jesus, I love thee. I love thee, I know that thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer... My Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. And purchase my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I'll love thee in life. I'll love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's bow our heads tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As you think about the commitment of love that he had for us, for you, for me, and the cost, what Jesus was willing to pay, one verse comes to my mind, and it is this verse, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, the gift of eternal life, salvation. I pray tonight that everyone here knows Christ as their Savior. But if you're here tonight, God knows your heart. You're among Christians tonight. You're among people that, just like you, we're all sinners. The only difference is, after salvation, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. And tonight, we want to extend an invitation. God is giving you an opportunity this evening to consider eternity. Eternity is forever. This life may be 20, 30, 40, 60 Maybe longer, but eternity is forever. According to the Word of God, you're going to spend eternity in one of two places. Heaven with God or in hell without God. The Bible says that if we are in sin, we're not saved, that we are already condemned. But again, God is not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, God wants you to be saved. He gave His Son that you can have a home in heaven. I wonder tonight, would you raise your hand as a testimony that you know Christ as your Savior, that you are saved? Would you slip your hand up if you know Christ as your Savior? I see those hands. You can put them down. Some may, may not have heard or understood tonight, but I noticed there were a few that maybe couldn't raise their hand or didn't raise their hand. But if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure, and by the way, the Bible tells us, these things have I written unto you that you may know 
that you have eternal life. God has made it possible that we can know for sure. And if you're here and you're not saved, you can know for sure. And if there's someone here tonight that's not saved, I wonder, would you slip your hand up tonight as a testimony and say, Pastor, I haven't settled it. I'm not sure. I don't know for sure that I'd go to heaven someday, but I don't want to miss heaven. I want to be with God for all of eternity. Would you slip your hand up tonight? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. No one's looking around. But just slip it up and you can put it right back down. I just want to include you in prayer in just a minute. But if you're not saved, I see that hand. Anyone else tonight? Just slip it up and you can put it right back down. Anybody that would say, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Folks, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss heaven. You need to have Jesus in your life as your Savior. He's already given himself that you might be saved. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that you'd bless the invitation. Lord, help us to love you the way you've loved us. Lord, help us to realize that it costs to love. And help us, Lord, to be yielded and to conform to the love that you have for us, that we would love you and love others. I pray for this one that raised her hand. And for many, Lord, I believe that you've spoken to their hearts. Just as you said to Peter that evening, Peter, do you love me? And that's the question that should burn on our hearts. Are we just saying it, or do we really mean it? And the way that we can show that we mean it is that we can do something. We can show that we love you. I bless the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may